anyways, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us for Dev Hour number three. Now, normally I like to start off with a good old-fashioned Ligma joke, but today it's too serious, okay? I am, I am a little too happy to have you on board, so I don't want to ruin it, so no Ligma jokes, okay? Don't even try. And if you have one in store, I will be impressed, okay? Um... Anyways, so uh, you are known, I, I guess right now, at least how I, I have known you, as the guy who argues very well on Twitter. Uh, we've had a, I didn't even know you created SolidJS or anything for a while. We just had a few back and forth, and I was like, oh, this guy has pretty reasonable takes. Like, these aren't like, you know, it's not just, it's the only way to do you know, I'm like, oh, okay, he, like, trades off things. I like this. I can go with something trading off. And then I found out that you, uh, you're, like, the dude who made uh, SolidJS, which sounds quite ambitious. Um, I am quite surprised. Is there a, and now you work at Netlify as well, right? Principal yeah. OSS engineer. I that didn't realize. Correct, yeah. I didn't realize that was a titled position, OSS engineer. But I'm very impressed. Yeah, it's 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 it feels relatively new. I'm um, seeing these companies pick up people to work on um, OSS. You know, it's always been a challenge to find monetization models and ways to support. Uh, projects maybe a little bit on the smaller side so yeah i think this is great um seeing companies like netlify um for self, like picking up um engineers to actually just work on the oss project not even necessarily feeding back into um like the stuff they're actually building at the company um yeah obviously with someone like doing deployment that makes a ton of sense because it, as long as you know people are using these tools, this puts the company right there and people will think of them. You know, you'll be like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm, I'm making a solid project. I should go deploy it on Netlify, you know? Yeah, and not only that, but I'm, you're also going to have this whole like ecosystem where the newer, the younger engineers are going to be coming in. They're going to be like, oh, that's that solid guy. What, where, oh, he works at Netlify. This is a cool company, right? Like they're going to associate coolness or, I mean, I assume you're cool. <laughs> I'm still assuming you're a cool guy. I don't know you quite yet. So we'll find out by the end of this, but... Nonetheless, there's like a whole perception brand thing that goes into this as well. I think it's a really smart move. I, I assume this is going to be a much more popular way to get engineers and to just do recruiting in general and like technolo uh, technology adoption and all that coming up in the future. And so your job right now at Netlify is kind of like one of the first to do this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I think for the last couple of years, there's been some opportunities for uh, people to to do this in a select few, um, but we're seeing more and more of it. Um, Vercel sort of started kicking it off in the fall. Um, they hired Rich Harris, uh, Jared Palmer. Honestly, that, that list just goes on and on. It felt like every week there is someone new there. Um, Netlify started bringing some people on in the new year. Uh, Zach Leatherman, who makes 11D, and myself. And uh, yeah, it, I think it's really exciting to see yeah, I just a few years ago, I never would have expected this to happen. I mean, it's 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 tricky to picture, um, but it's also kind of like the, in my opinion, the VC space on open source. You're like, what's the product you're giving it away for free? Mm -hmm. How do you make money off it? I think ultimately we all need these software projects. Like, so someone has to, uh, you know, foot the bill, and you know, it's it, it, it. I don't know if you want to call it charity necessarily, necessarily, because they can benefit from it. But it is really amazing to be able to have the ability to be able to build these really cool things and um, not have to worry about how you're going to uh, put food on the table, so to speak. Yeah, or try to balance. I mean, because I know that, I, I mean, I, I'm in a somewhat similar position in the sense that I build a lot of things on the side, you know, do a lot of streaming that. And there is definitely a challenge you have to have with family, job, and doing these things on the side. And by the necessity, things have, something has to suffer from it. And it's always hard to make any sort of trade-off in the work and family space. And so, so it's... it's 
it tends to be the OSS side of things, right? I, I have plenty of OSS tickets sitting out right now that could very well be fixed. Where I'm like, I, 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 no, it's just, it's just it's just sleep that disappears. And yeah. I have I had a decent amount of experience with that, and that was the thing. I was getting tired, really, really yeah. tired. You, you 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 if you try and cut yourself less than six hours a day for weeks at a time, it does actually add up, and you get yeah. exhausted. And I, I I was I was getting really tired. And the timing of this was couldn't have been better. I was just like, let me work on solid. Let me do that. Cause yeah, I, I, I was, I was doing that. I mean, to be fair, I love my work at eBay. I was mm -hmm. working on a Jackson framework there. So I was working on an open source project there. Um, it just wasn't the one that I started and I, yeah. I still believe very much in what they're doing. I believe so much. That's why I wanted to do it. Um, but it involved me working my day job for eBay and then spending time with the family and then, and then like late night working on solid yeah. and then like repeat, 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 you know? Um, yeah. And I find that like there, there just comes a point where, you know, once you cross that six hour mark, especially like, I just like, I become disproportional in how I feel about things as well. Like, you know, like if me and my wife have like a small fight in my head, I, I just like, I, I don't know. I just like lose grip with reality where I'm like, dude, everything sucks. And you're like, whoa, I'm just like, I'm just sleepy. That's all it actually is, is. I just haven't done what human bodies should be doing. And that's rough. So you kept this up for quite some time before yeah, you. Since, yeah, I mean, Solid is about as old as my firstborn. Um, I, technically speaking, uh, she's uh, turned seven next month. Um, I, I was working on some stuff and I was playing with it, you know, reactivity. And, you know, I, I had a reason I was my old job uh, at a startup, we were using knockout and stuff and mm -hmm. kind of like our, our own custom setup that we had and we were, it, we were kind of deprecating it. Um, or sorry, it was, it wasn't so much we were deprecating. It was just like all the libraries and dependencies were getting old and out of date yeah. and things weren't as modern as nice. So I started kind of just playing with like, how would we update it? And then what, what could, how could we change things? And at a certain point, I was kind of up all night already after my, my, my daughter was born. And then I was just like, okay, well, she's going to be up in like an hour anyways again. I'm just going to stay up this and just start working on, on solid and, you know, just start working on this framework and see where it goes. And, you know, it was kind of on and off and playing around with it. And then eventually about, yeah, around the time she was one, I, I, I made my first commit. I remember up on Bitbucket, I think it was August uh 2016 and oh, wow. i just I kept on working on it since then so yeah i've been i've been playing with this stuff for like yes yeah, about seven years now interesting so so it was this is kind of getting into the ideation and creation of of solid so knockout it remind me that's that's rxjs like right it's it's like observable like am i correct on that it's been so long yeah, since yeah, i've even heard the name knockout it feels like a decade yeah, well, and, and that's because it, it literally has been more than a decade. Yeah, you know, like, it's, it's funny, I don't know what Microsoft was doing in the mid 2000s. But they were basically, on the reactive side, pioneering kind of both approaches mm -hmm. um, the RX stuff kind of came up uh, around 2008, 2009, at yep. Microsoft. And I remember playing with Link, it was kind of it was kind of an interesting experience. And Knockout is actually from the exact same time period. And what's interesting to me is Rx is kind of this all encompass is more encompassing wider like reactivity as a philosophy. You know, like mm -hmm. you know, you have everything from observables to um, you know different types of primitives like uh, behavior, subjects, and yeah. you know stuff like that. Knockout 
basically fixated on like UI development in one piece. So it's it's like if you took behavior subjects from RX and then just built everything off that and got rid of the whole rest of RxJS. Like hmm. it's just like build the whole thing off behavior subjects. Um, is is how I explain it sometimes to RX people. But generally speaking, it it works out to a different sort of reactive system. I actually explain this to people as actually being a different flavor of reactivity because in RX, it's all about asynchronous streams, about things that change and progress through time and watching that transformation, which makes a lot of sense on a lot of stuff, you know, like mm -hmm. handling requests from a server, you know, um, things that happen over time, you know. But um, the kind of reactivity that we use in JavaScript frameworks often is about synchronization. It's about making sure that everything is consistent at all times. and that that instead of being like a long pipe visually it's more like um uh like i don't know what to call it like a bunch of points like uh, instead of having like this really a bunch of these long streams that can wrap around each other it's like it's like a, a flight control center where you have like a, a billion lights and you want them all to light yeah. up in the right patterns you know a, a giant uh light bright or something like <laughs> you want to make sure that everything stays in sync and um this actually while the primitive might look similar, lends to different sorts of patterns and really a kind of different type of reactivity. Did you take any inspiration from Knockout into SolidJS? Completely. Like the thing is, all the all the elements of it were there. They weren't maybe executed as well back then. We didn't understand patterns as well back then. But Knockout had all of the similar things. It had the fine-grained reactivity, and it did not have a virtual DOM. Mm -hmm. And it had fine-grained rendering, like all, all the the there weren't components in Knockout in a real sense. You, yeah, you just had functions and you know trying to figure out how to navigate JavaScript's this and whatnot. Um, but generally speaking, a lot of the fundamental stuff was there. They just didn't have as much guarantees on consistency, and they hadn't really developed the patterns. So Knockout was kind of a mess. Yeah, you know, we were told to use something called MV. BM, uh, model view model. Yeah, and yeah, I know that one. It's kind of like, kind of like MVC, and but for me in my mind, um, this was just kind of part of the uh, progression of, of things. Like on the server, which is kind of stateless, it's very obvious where MVC makes a ton of sense. You have this yeah. singleton controller, and then you just kind of hook some model data up to some view data, and, and this thing manages it. But the problem is, it's that's fine because there isn't really state. It, it has to be in the model. Yeah. It has to, it, basically, if it doesn't last, like the request is pretty short. If it wants to last be, beyond the request needs to be persisted, for the most part, that means it's in a model. On the client, you have these long sessions. It's not the same game. Yep. And the whole move from MVC to MVVM was understanding that the controller isn't a singleton. It's a per instance thing. And so th that, that was fine. But the problem there is it wasn't really clear. It's like, should I be tying my state data my the, the this kind of transient data should I be tying it to my view or should I be tying it to my model and they they, they just can make their mind up so they're just like view model yeah, yeah which <laughs> and, makes sense i mean there's a lot like, of things that happen on the client that you don't even want to send to the server right you do all sorts of greedy operations like a thumbs up on netflix we it's not like we go well hold on before we can actually say you thumbs up let's wait for the server to tell us that you th you know like there's things we do on the client to make it appear different and kind of out of sync with the actual model Right. And I mean, the funny thing is we played with this a lot at our startup because we were using Knockout. And I learned a lot of stuff when I was there, like bad patterns, good patterns. At first, I was very much like, oh, let's just, um, wouldn't it be really cool if we just reactified, <laughs> that's not really a word, the it's model. It's close enough. Then, yeah. 
then you could just use it everywhere in your views and you you could have like just this really cool thing where like it's it's completely reusable in every location and and then it's all reactive and it all just keeps in sync it's like the super reactive model and as it turns out that pattern is kind of terrible but that's what a lot of us wanted to do but mm -hmm. sometimes you'd be like well i have this local state like i want to this this item selected and i don't need to store it and in this location i have the same model but i want to have some reactivity there. So then you start splintering and you have these different view models all over the place and they're all talking to each other and you're just like butterfly effect, like some wind blows over here and then the whole thing just blows up over here. And it was kind of a mess and that's what uh, React came out of. But like what I actually took from React was they just very clearly made up the decision. Like, no, your state belongs with your, with your view. Like they basically yeah. just like, yeah. don't wrap your models with, with view models the view model and the view are what's tied together. And they just happen to call it uh, a component. But like, essentially that was, that's what I took from React at the beginning. It wasn't necessarily that we had to do everything React does, like throw everything away and start over and re-render and all that stuff. I just, they, they just came up with a sane way to organize your code so that you weren't like, but like things weren't flipping all over the place. So in a lot of sense, I, I took what Knockout was doing took the kind of guarantees on reactivity that were developed later from uh, MobX and then kind of looked at React and I'm talking early React yeah, and just, and, and you know, unidirectional flow and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'd already been implementing those kind of patterns and forcing them, even though they weren't like part of the framework for our teams uh, at the startup I was working at, because otherwise we teach new people and they do terrible stuff. So. I'd already kind of started embracing all these patterns and then I just kind of wrapped them into a, uh, into a kind of a framework or a library rather where they kind of just work together and it made sense. Like that was the design of it. Um, you know, and that's why a lot of people see react in solid was because I, I, I respected their kind of worldview on, um, you know, read, write segregation and unidirectional flow. And, and as it turned out at the beginning, I was just using, uh, template strings, kind of like knockout or view mm -hmm. or spell reviews. And, and I was, I, I just have to, I kept on at a certain point, I wanted my template to get more and more involved. Template is always just such a bad, bad ending. It always ends with, I now have like four loops. I'm creating a programming language. I'm now adding one. It's hard. I've now just well, made something hard. I, I, at one point I was doing this because at first I was just parsing the HTML and pulling out like knockout. And then I was like, okay, that's slow. So then I started, you know, compiling the head sort of and and then i was like i realized i need to pull acorn in like i, I was going to yeah. start like pulsing javascript and stuff and i was just like this is just too much and i was like screw this i'm just going to use jsx and so we we have this same same philosophy and i start using jsx it's funny jsx end up being a huge blessing for us i like jsx better in solid than i like in react because we end up using real dom nodes so you can literally just like be somewhere and be like oh i feel like i need a div constant yeah div equals JSX development. Oh, nice. Like, and that's just... underneath the hood, just create document dot create whatever, and then throw in the div. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Exactly. I always thought that the JSX was the best part of React because I do feel like that's the proper abstraction. And that's why I really also like it in URS. If you've seen the one from Rust, uh, I just, I like that abstraction because it feels like HTML, right? Like that's how I would imagine I'm working with it. I'm just kind of tying in. I, I, I do think that that is the right abstraction, but then there's several things I didn't like about React. So I'm I'm curious yeah. how you chose to go different with solid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the thing was, this this the sad thing. I mean, it's funny because this is this people can go well. You know, if you're gonna make your 
because people always confuse solid for react a lot of people see and they're like oh it looks like react i'm sure react will have this one day and they just kind of dismiss it the thing was i like was you've heard me i, I respect their philosophy i thought it was what would, would fix knockout and then at some point i was like yeah jsx is great but even then let's go back to that so where are we at when, when i moved to jsx 2017 let's 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 pretend now that you look at react in 2017 and you and you look at um solid they look really different because basically at that point solid had its modern form i didn't even release an open source but essentially we had these reactive little primitives um you know like um signals and um some computed yeah signals computed and um and uh and essentially, and we had JSX. And because I've, I, I've used knockout in classes, it was a waste of time. You just put all your code in the constructor because you're just firing yeah. up this reactivity. And the only thing that ever was a class method in a reactive library are the event handlers, but then you're dealing with this and stuff. So I was just using function components with these 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 primitives, like, like, like I used to use in knockout and JSX. And no one really confused us with React at that point. And then React went and released hooks. And then suddenly everyone's like, like hooks look like a reactive library. Yeah. It was when React actually released hooks that we actually started looking like really the same. Before hooks, like if React had kept with the class components, Solid and React would have probably not have mm -hmm. been viewed as being so similar. It's just that React decided to 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 release that. And when they did, yeah, my the whole world kind of changed for me because I was just like, I never thought they'd do that. I thought yeah. they valued yeah plain objects, rerun everything, who cares, you know, YOLO, I've got the VDOM, you know, yeah, like yeah, just, yeah. I, thought, I, I thought that was going to be their thing. But then when they're like, oh, no, we're introducing composable primitives, where you have to be aware of when things execute, like use effect and stuff. I was like, this is like reactivity. And then step back a minute. This is like worse reactivity. Um, like, so, like, so you want to kind of jump into that? Because, you know, not everyone's going to be as deeply familiar kind of with maybe the some of the kind of the nuances between say use state or use effect versus what solid has you want to kind of discuss how, and 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 did you did your idea I, based on what you're saying your ideas came first and you had your own kind of shape and form and then they came on do you have any idea why they made different choices like you want to kind of give some good contrast oh, there yeah. yeah yeah i mean the thing is react likes what react does and and i actually brought Facts. this up that's uh, a fact right there you can't yeah, argue I mean, that one. <laughs> yeah, the React team lo loves what they do. Like even right now with the hook rules and the closures and all that, they act. It's part of their model, and they actually weren't that inspired by reactive libraries. I mean, it's so hard to believe when you look at the API and you're like, this is like identical. They even even conceptually, when I talk about reactivity, I talk about it as a language. Like there's a three core kind of primitives. You have a signal or like a, a stateful atom. You have a der derived state which uh, react to call use memo but essentially this idea that you have some kind of calculation that derives mm -hmm. new values and then you have some kind of side effect um which is like the auto run and mob x the thing that just like outputs the world yeah all reactive systems um the fine grain style have these three things hooks look identical even though they, they run very differently and they have these three things but if you go to the prior art section on the react docs there's zero mention of reactive systems they were like looking at algebraic effects and some functional programming stuff that i, I honestly i couldn't tell you that much about um it is not from the same well as the reactive stuff i mean there's a lot of functional programming background on the reactivity but it's it, they they had a completely different thing and which is interesting to me because it suggests a convergence but the, the key difference to understand is 
React still very much lives by the, like, you call this the function, it has side effects, you know, or mm -hmm. I guess it's pure, actually, sorry, React case, it's pure. Call the function, it is a pure transformation, you register some side effects that happen later, perhaps, and this is just the cycle. Because it's pure, we can throw it away, and we can redo it as many times we want, as in many situations as we want. And that that's basically their mentality. So what this means though, is when you try and use composable primitives in this world, you always have to be aware that there's something rerunning on the outside. So there's two zones. There's the zone of the outside, which is always running. And then there are these persisted um, states in these hooks. And that's where the stale closures come from because not every time you run a component is every hook going to rerun. And at any given time, you know, different hooks might rerun, but the outside always reruns. So you, there's this kind of, yeah. you, you have to be aware of these two zones. Um, reactivity um, is generally the opposite. It's like, it's not pure. It's full of side effects. It's, this, it's a factory function. It's something that yeah. sets something up. So it's going to run once. It's going to create all the things you need and set up all the rules. And then you kind of just back away and let it do it do its thing. And what this means is, yes, there are these hook-like things that rerun, but they're the only thing that reruns. So technically they are working off a quote, I mean, it's not even a stale closure because the outside never reruns yeah. again. So you're not really aware of it. You gave it the thing it will work with forever when you first ran it. And again, that's why Solid uses functions for, for signals getters, because you, you, you have to ask for the latest value. It's not, it's not something that's just being passed in from the outside. You just, you just go, give me the latest value, give me the latest value. And as it turns out, that's still very, very dynamic um, because obviously for regular stuff, you can always just ask the latest value, but even for fancy stuff like concurrent rendering and stuff, the get the value is, um, how should I put it? It's, it's behind the scenes. So Saul's runtime can have two different realities going and essentially you can just ask for the one on your fork, you know? So I, 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 I think it's, it is interesting to, to see these two very different views of the world and philosophies look kind of similar, yet be both capable of very incredible things. It's just like a, it's just a different model. Um, yeah. And so this is where that Twitter problem came from. Uh, for those that don't know, there's a tweet explaining some basic code that looks like, hey, I have an if statement, I have a function in solid that has an if statement, one returns one type of object, the other one, the other side returns some other type of object. Yet when I increment the counter, it's not returning the other object. And that is because in React, this whole world re-executes, hence the stale closures, hence all these reasons why things kind of go a little bit goofy. That's why you have that problem, which is also why you have these dependency arrays and use effect and all that that kind of get generated. So you have that one nature, but in solid, it's like, no, you already produced the thing. Now the thing needs to run off of changes. It shouldn't be running off the idea of re-rendering. Right. Is that kind of the idea? So, so the point of reactivity for React would be to say inside the render, whereas yours is more of a post render and it has the opportunity to kind of bring in that data. Yeah. I'd never really thought about it before, but um, Sunil Pai from a former React core team and works at Cloudflare, he was like, yeah, so your components are more setup functions rather than render functions. And I was like, yes. Yeah. That, that, that's the best way. They're, they're just constructors. They're just uh, these factory functions. But as I said, it's it's fully capable because here's 
here's the thing. Maybe it's a scale where you have like something like RxJS on one side and React on the other side, even though they kind of loop over and can be kind of yeah. the same because they're both more less fine grained. But in Rx, you have to you set all these rules and you connect the streams. And you you go like this is the execution of your whole thing, and sometimes that feels really cumbersome because all the joints probably need operators because yep. all the switches, all the dynamicism has to be represented in something that you can transform through a stream. And like on the other opposite side, you have React, which is like we don't care, we'll just rerun it, and it's completely dynamic the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, the way Solid works, which is kind of in the middle, is yes, you do have to wire things up. But the dependencies within any given expression can change. It's not as hard coded as, as uh, Rx. Where Rx, you're like yeah. piping. You have to pipe, like filter, cool. map. You set up your operations yeah. in specific order. Right. In in an auto tracking reactive system, you write your code in imperative bubbles. Essentially, like yes, the whole thing isn't imperative. You're still declaring like a, a set of behaviors. You still have these like mm -hmm. effects you create or whatever. But once you're inside them. Um, it's all conditional uh, dependency tracking. That's why there's no dependency array. So if you are inside one and you branch one way versus the other way, the thing on the branch not taken is is not tracked and not executed and won't affect in the future. So like if you don't take the lower path and it it depends on a different dependency, updating that different dependency isn't going to cause your yeah. effect to rerun. Um, and you might be like, oh, well, is this dangerous? You might miss updates and stuff, but it, it's not because that decision of which branch to take is also a reactive value. So the only way you could ever get to the other branch is if that value changed. So this this actually um, kind of minimizes work, but it, the key part actually is that it lets you still have a bit of that imperative feel of React. It's yeah. funny because we'll talk about React and declarative, but from my view, uh, React is very imperative. It's very yeah. top down. And um, you can still get these little imperative pieces. So it's not as like, cumbersome the wire up is rx but then you still have the benefit of like once you wire it up you can just kind of walk away you can step back yeah you know? so that means uh, a lot of the performance and these things that i think separate out solid because when i hear solid js i don't hear about solid js because it is new or that it's different or that it's, it's performance have you seen solid js it's amazing in performance and so what you're telling me is that a lot of these things had no like you didn't start off going i want to make react fast you started off completely different, just like, oh, I'm trying to, I am at knockout. I need to get somewhere else. I'm not really a big fan of React. We're just going to keep on going here. And that's how it came to be. So how did the performance, how did you start kind of discovering these things? We're like, well, wait a second. This is not just faster. It's way faster. Because as always told, obviously, the VDOM, especially in 2016, 2017, transducers for life right back then, right? Which is, I still don't even know what that word technically means in React world. But, uh, you know, like that whole world was all about, trust me, it's super fast. VDOM's going to save humanity. It's the fastest thing ever created. And here comes yours. Very different. No VDOM. Just DOM nodes, which I've been told historically have been terrible, is actually just like blazingly fast. Some some favorite terms I believe people use out there. Well, oh, by the way, do you the use the term blazingly fast? Can you start? Can you, can you put that on the, can I, can I get that in the docs? If I make a PR with blazingly fast, will you accept it? No, I, I can't. Come on! I can't Inferno, Inferno already kind of owned that for a little bit, and then they dropped it. I have a huge Inferno is like the fat. I mean, it's not anymore, but historically, it's the fastest yeah. VDOM library, and I have huge respect for Inferno. Maybe I could talk about that in terms of performance. But we looked at started, Inferno uh, in the beginning when we were switching to React at uh, Netflix. A few of us came up with oppositions, and Inferno was thrown out there as like the 
middle ground for why it's better. But anyway, sorry, keep going on. So yeah, so I mean, here's the thing. If you, if, if you were using something like Knockout back in 2012 or 13, before React came out, and then React told you, like, if you're using Angular, it's different. Or Backbone, you might have been like, wow, I get to just, like, inner HTML without inner yeah. HTML. Or yeah. But, but if you're using something like Knockout, where you're doing these fine-grained updates, and the React team comes and tells you that React is way faster because it redoes everything and pushes it through a virtual DOM and then diffs it, you're just like, what, 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 what are you smoking? Because like, it doesn't yeah. actually make sense you're like you're telling me you just do all this extra work and it's going to be faster than my computer that updates one point in the dom like yeah and plus the garbage i mean my big thing has always been the reconciliation which is a heavy garbage related activity so i've always been very curious how that worked out but everyone believed him everyone drank the kool-aid at that point saying it was the fastest i never heard anyone say anything differently but somehow you yeah. you landed on it yeah, well, I mean, you just I used it, and I just was like, I was confused. And uh, to be fair, the benchmarks at the time were terrible. Like the early benchmarks, like stuff like uh, Jeremy S. Kennis was making, were like rotating circles or animation benchmarks. And I, I looked at them, and I kind of played with them, and they weren't even measuring the right thing. I actually played with them a bit, and I realized that Knockout was like, like React was like, it's not bad. They like show Angular, and look, we're even faster than Angular, even with this approach. And they're like, so you get to just not worry about this crap. And it's pretty fast. But when I went into those update benchmarks and I actually got them measuring the right things, Knockout was like 10 times faster than Angular and Backbone and, and yeah. that on these update animations. And that makes sense what it's good for. Problem obviously is the next few years, React did have a good argument to show why they were performant. Um, they, they they started making all these benchmarks like uh, stock ticker benchmark, I think Ryan Florence made or whatever, um, where they, they, they literally would take a bunch of data from the server and just spam the page with full data loads yep. and then yep. show how React could diff it. Like, let's face it, a, a naive approach with fine green reactivity there is not going to be good because it's just, it's just overhead when you're going to replace all the data anyways, like to do all these separate events and do all this stuff. And they're like, look, we're fast. And to be fair, maybe that's a real use case. I've never been in that use case where I have an API that inefficient where that I'm re-rendering the whole page at multiple times a second and expect it to be fast. But that was the kind of benchmarks during that time period. And it kind of showed the case off. And I, I just I just was like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more used to things that users do. But they did have a point. Sometimes reactivity is more expensive to create. And it wasn't until compilers got a heavier role in it that that it kind of came to sense because the problem is how do you mitigate the creation cost well one of the cool things is with a compiler and static analysis you can go okay like knockout used to walk the dom tree and then like find the bindings that's that's not good then yeah then what i realized is if i could use a compiler to know exactly where all the bindings were ahead of time and just like went straight to them and attached them and separated the creation of the dom nodes from the reactive bindings, essentially, um, we could get a lot of performance. And that's kind of what, where my work was in 2016, 2017, and why I ultimately open sourced the library. This is still before React hooks. Uh, April 2018, I open sourced the library so I could put it in the JS framework benchmark. Because basically, I realized that if um, I could like clone the nodes, which is a trick that lit HTML uh, kind of showed me, that it was faster to do like basically look at the template, pull out all the DOM nodes, and then just clone them. And if I could just then basically just walk to the specific nodes and attach um, the reactive nodes, this was actually a faster performance um, a way of 
yeah, creating the DOM than any VDOM library was doing. Mm -hmm. So suddenly the approach, which always had the fastest updates was also the fastest for creation. And this, that, that, that was a game changer because suddenly um, there, there wasn't the trade-off. It was just yeah. better across the board. And th that was a big part on the client rendering story and where Solid got to where it is. That's why sometimes when people talk to me about the performance stuff now, I kind of joke like, you know, most of the performance stuff hasn't changed in five or six years. I mean, it really was that time period. Uh, it, was, it was basically Inferno had taken the DOM API performance to the next level around 2015, 16. I took what I saw from that um, uh, and another library, Surplus, uh, which was the first reactive library that I'd seen with JSX. Never even heard and of Surplus. So yeah, RIP Surplus. I'm sorry, whoever created it out there, if you're listening. Yeah, Adam Hill was, was great. And he he, he actually, um, he inspired a lot of the stuff in Solid. Uh, at the time, he I, I, at one point I thought I would just kind of merge projects, but uh, essentially it wasn't as actively maintained. And I, I wanted to... I thought that people wouldn't use the system. I thought it was too clunky with all the signals and stuff. And I thought people wanted plain objects because that was what React was about. So yeah. I, I, I it's really hard to proxies. Ironic, we still use proxies, but ironically now these days everybody likes the reactivity and the signals. And when React went to hooks, they actually basically changed the conversation. But yeah, um, it, it is kind of interesting. But essentially, we were able to get really good client performance um, across the board, and that's that's where this came up. Like combining the best approach to creation and the best approach to updates. Um, funny enough, um, Solid also has really good server performance. Um, and that was... I do want to try it out, by the way. I'm going to be taking Solid out for a spin here soon. That was from a completely different um, source. I mean, it, sometimes these things are completely unrelated. Yeah. I, I actually tried to take Solid's reactivity and client rendering and wire up a JS DOM because I, I didn't believe in server rendering as much. Like early on, I didn't respect it enough, I have to admit. You didn't think it existed? Like, Is that what you mean? You didn't believe in it? Well, no, like, I, I just thought, It just like, doesn't exist. I don't believe in server rendering. I, I, I'd only worked on, like, behind login, single page apps for, like, a decade. And actually, even before that, in the old company, I just, I was just okay with it. I, it just wasn't my use case. I, you know, yeah. people can... Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, well, maybe we can just JS DOM it. But then I was like, okay, I care about performance. Uh, let's see. And I was like, I couldn't even get like React level server rendering I, with this. It was like half. And I was just like, oh my God, this is terrible. So I, I, then I was like, okay, what can I do? And I, I tried all this. I tried a bunch of stuff. And and then it was actually, I I got my inspiration from a, another framework called Marco from eBay, which is where I ended up working for them later. Yeah. But they actually had solved it years and years and years before. Um, uh, basically because they were coming at it from a backend perspective and they were just like, Oh, when we're in the client, we have a VDOM, but when we're on the server, we just concatenate strings and essentially, um, Svelte had adopted it, but not as performantly. Marco was like 10 times faster than everything else on the server pretty much. And I, I, I did that at first, but it was still slow because I had the reactive system. So this is the crazy part about solid on the server. We actually import a different runtime that isn't reactive. And the all the create signals are just kind of window no dressing over. Yeah, yeah, like they just they just don't do anything. And as it turns out, um, tweaking the performance of that of the string concatenation, um, replacing the reactor runtime, um, and it still works because I, I I've created mechanisms where we can do stuff like async rendering and streaming, and um, and basically uh, putting it all together. Uh, we were able to even uh, basically three, four X uh, Marco's um, 
performance and that 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 was that was huge because when we started i started benchmarking it was like it was like yeah i mean compare it to Re react sometimes it's like 20 20 x or like yeah like yeah. in some benchmarks I, I don't trust every benchmark but i am i'm very a highly skeptical individual of benchmarks one of the biggest things that i see most people do is that benchmarks are almost exclusively ran on everyone's own computer right one of the biggest disasters you can possibly do you've done obviously a lot of benchmarking do you have any tips some some pro tips out there for us that are just trying to be script kitties out here in the benchmarking world I mean, it, it, you, yeah, you can't tr trust your single results. Um, I, test on multiple devices, try and create some kind of control. One thing I loved about the JS framework benchmark is it is on this guy's computer, but it's been on this guy's computer and he's upgraded a couple of times now forever. And it, he is an impartial person who's not trying to do anything. He, and he's very meticulous and he's, he, he tried it on Linux, he tried it on Windows, he tried it on Mac, and he, he tries his best to try and stabilize that stuff. As as a person myself, I'm, I'm, I'm just always very much aware of it. I was running on Windows WSL2 benchmarking, um, I, I, you know, different platforms, and you, you always get slightly different results on the different mm -hmm. platforms. There's variance between runs. Yeah, you, you can't you you need an environment where you can strip everything away, turn off like weird compiler miti mitigations and stuff like all the security stuff because you'll just get random stuff interfering with the performance. I, I got to say, um, uh, Stefan, who runs a uh, JS frame Redford, does a really good job. Um, for myself, when I post stuff in articles, I just try my best to to just be as fair as I can. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 be as what's the term conservative because you don't it, it will run differently for people so you don't you yeah. don't want you don't, you don't want to just like go this one run this is the fastest and then just be like like go crazy on it because it's going to come back around it, it it always does just you know as long as you approach it with a, a certain amount of honesty and like error like like room for error then I think you, you, it's fine. Um, but yeah, it, it's very precise. Everyone will find things like what one person pointed out one of the benchmarks I did, they're like, oh, I noticed you're doing something with garbage collection, collecting, but in a real world, you wouldn't use it. And then this spun out a whole bunch of conversation about the difference between behaviors in different browsers in terms of garbage collection timing. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You just so you were manually running garbage collection? Yeah, there's. Well, I have one of the, yeah. never had a good experience with that. It's almost historically always slower. You know, the, 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 I, the framework doesn't do that. I'm talking in the benchmark. The idea was that you trying to get a clean slate, and it's on this mm. React, one of these reactive benchmarks that I run on, on Node. Um, that was originally written by the guy who created uh, Surplus, that JSX uh, yeah. reactive library, and he, he basically this this was a test purely to see the mostly the creation speed of reactivity. Reactivity is usually really fast update, but not so much on creation. It, and and everything we've had to do the last couple of years on the React side is to optimize for creation because updating is would be fast enough even if you de-opt. And yeah, in that benchmark, um, before each run, it actually clears the tries like tries to start clear with with manual garbage collection with some of those like cool It's naughty naughty to me at least. Yeah, yeah, which is what started that whole conversation. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I, I am a, you know, if you've seen any of the performance YouTube stuff I do, I make sure it's very, very long running processes because 
you can't measure the performance of something in which one of its direct impacts is garbage collection because you could actually have a really fast API that say, yeah. you know, it does a lot of immutable things, creates a bunch of temporary garbage. And if it holds on to it just long enough and it skips like that nursery step, it can then go into these major GCs. Things can be a lot longer. And like you have no way of measuring that in these short, these short-lived ones. And I just feel like it's a huge disservice because, oh yeah, it's great. It's the fastest thing ever. You put it on your server and it's half the speed as the one that's claiming to be five times faster. You're like, why is this? Well, that's because garbage collection is a real metric and people should right. be really measuring that. Right. And, and for, uh, what should I call it? Yeah. For the, for the, for the, a lot of the framework funds, this garbage collection does kind of sneak in there. You do actually see the impact of it, like on stuff in the JS framework benchmark. One of my favorite things about that one is just how natural it tries to be. Um, but the problem is I say that, but then at the exact same time, we've getting to a point now with browser benchmarking, especially, um, and the framework, like, there's only so many DOM elements you can put on a screen reasonably, you know, yep. uh, 10,000, you know, uh, rows of a table with five elements each. So 50,000 elements is getting up there. And um, even with like 16x slowdowns and stuff, this this is the thing, right? Like all of these benchmark, like to, we have to push things to such an extreme to see them in for some kind of operations. Like mm -hmm. you're right, the longer running ones are almost easier. Trying to benchmark... Um, because those ones we don't actually have to put on as much slowdown on. But one of the problems we, we have with the JS framework benchmark is like simple ones where you're like selecting rows. That's a quick operation in every framework. So what you end up doing is you go, oh, 16 times slowdown. At what point, what are you measuring then? Yeah. Like you're measuring like like the the tiniest bit. I, I was working on something for Marco and we, we, we were getting pretty good performance for the next version. And we were trying to figure out our queuing logic. And we we're like, oh, we did we did some like micro benchmarks and we're like oh the difference between these two isn't that much um it, you know it should be pretty good you know it was it was an option between like doing something really dumb which we knew wouldn't really work in the long run and doing something smart and we're like this is very minor but we yeah. put it through the just framework benchmark on the select row thing and it, like it was actually fine in all the benchmarks except for like that one and we real and we realized it was just magnifying that like super small overhead like times a thousand and <laughs> like that i don't know if that's helpful for people i mean it does show you that that small overhead is more in marco than it is in solid or svelte but yeah what, what does that, that what does that actually practically lead to when you're creating you know most websites don't create and throw away ten thousand items right it's just not like a it's not a really good measurement of actual performance i do think it'd be i i don't know if it's exposed in v8 i know it's exposed we have an engine uh we have v8 at our at netflix and we have obviously we can make our own bridge method so uh, you know i have a global function called start tracing where i can actually do the performance tab but programmatically within code and then only select out like say i only want garbage collection events and then i can write it out to a file so i can actually over time measure exactly like this is programmatically how much garbage you're creating over normal operations so your percent time in garbage is is an interesting measurement because it gets super magnified on the server because the server is the place where 10,000 rows actually is a pretty reasonable test. On the client, obviously, that's not a, it's just not a real test because no one's going to have that. No, you you virtualize or whatnot. And it, it, is, it, is, a tr it is tricky um, because, I mean, we say that, but on the other hand, as a library author, I like and love these tests because they, they are 
amplified versions of simple operations that every app does. So I value them a lot because it's one of those funny things. And it doesn't completely make sense because, you know, I've talked to guys in the React team and, you know, they, they, they're like, we don't care about those tests because, you know, death by a thousand cuts and all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you don't need to go that far to optimize. But the funny thing is, and maybe it's the way that people are measuring performance and doing that stuff is Solid has paid attention to performance, you know, in this micro sense, but not in just one place, in a bunch of different places. I tried to use, do every benchmark I'd find, UI bench, whatever. I, I did as many as I could. Even that stupid stock ticker one, I was like, I'm not going to let a reactive library suffer this. So um, Solid actually has a data diffing mechanism that doesn't work on the DOM, the VDOM, but works in the data. And I was, I, I could get it to basically performance of inferno level performance, even on the solid's worst case. I made sure to cover all, all of those cases. And in a sense, you're like, okay, well, that's great. You've optimized for a hand, uh, you know, few, a couple dozen, you know, benchmarks and stuff, not real world, but, and I mean, maybe we'll see more as things scale. Doing that isn't a bad thing because what's happened is now when random people come to me and they're like, I can't believe how performance all it is. I converted this React app. Part of that, to be fair, is when people write something a second time, they, te they tend to, they might write it better. Yeah, but I always write it better a second time. It's, it's a rare right. occur occurrence to be a terrible. So it is working in my benefit right now. Yeah. But on the other hand, what we tend to see is just because of so much attention to performance in a whole variety of places, people just generally just have a good performance experience. They're just like, yeah. oh, wow, it's all fast. I, I, and it's not always, they're, they're throwing in a bunch of different places that I never tested it, but they're just like, I converted this React app to Svelte and Solid. And when I converted to Svelte, I was like, amazing. It's 2.4 times faster than React, this whatever way they're measuring yeah. it. But then when I converted it to Solid, it was 3.2 times faster than React. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that means. But I, that sounds great. I like, I like those terms. <laughs> Right, exactly. So I like to think that, it, you know, paying attention to those little details does up, add up, maybe, you know, some greater than parts, you know, etc. Yeah. And it could very well be just, you know, those choices that you've made, the amount of work that React simply has to do, that even though hooks provide you this idea, where you can kind of have these abstracted away pieces of reactivity that could be generalized and used in multiple components, you're also paying a completely different cost every single time you do that than you'd be paying in solid. So yeah. there might be and a way that React can never get that fast unless they completely change what they do, which sounds like they're not going right. to because then, well, render becomes setup. Yeah. And... They, like, they like what they do, as mm -hmm. I mentioned at the beginning. I have to emphasize this because recently Dan actually made a tweet he's, he, where he more or less said that. He's like, if we you know, liked what Solid was doing, we would just do that, <laughs> you know, essentially. <laughs> and I was like, read between some people took that to be like, oh, so they're they're gonna you know as things yeah. move on they're gonna you know update and change. I'm like no 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 he's 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 giving you a backhanded compliment or whatever. Like he it's fine. He's just saying like we're never doing this. Like, yeah yeah. We have our own so, Kool Aid. We like it. That's just yeah. what it's gonna be. <laughs> it's good. I I think it's awesome because they're taking this mentality which is a different one than ours and actually taking it super far. And I every time they go farther down that direction, I learn something. Right? Mm -hmm. I learned something from React initially. And I'm still learning stuff from React today. And the thing is, the VDOM itself um, is this overhead, but you still have to write the code and there's still architectural considerations. And we've seen with stuff like Inferno, like I, I, in my mind, the gap of performance on the front end side, at least, Inferno did 
60% of the work up from React. Like React's here, Inferno got things like to, to like, you know, if React's to double vanilla JS in some scale, you know, yeah. Inferno managed to get um, it down to being 20% over vanilla JS. Um, there is a, a diminishing returns kind of problem. Solid got the, the that next ten percent, but Inferno yeah. spanned the whole like eighty percent or whatever. Yeah. And it's a VDOM, so to be fair, and there's a new VDOM library I saw not that long ago, BlockDOM, where someone actually took the same template cloning trick that that Solid uses and used it in a VDOM, and. Uh, we're like neck and neck right now. I mean, I don't know if they have all the features and the other considerations. You know, it's not as mature, but just the the pure rendering. They show that a VDOM on a pure rendering side can be right up there with the reactive library. I don't think that's actually the, what we should be focusing on in, in the benchmarks. It's more about how you author apps and the patterns. Or right? are you more likely to cause re-renders and and that whole thing? Like yeah. the raw performance of the VDOM isn't necessarily that bad, and I think people aren't really clear on that point because you know a lot of the hype around self and that they're like no vdom it's funny because you, t you talked at the beginning about me having to be kind of metered and balanced it was because like doing this testing you know that like it's not that simple like yeah. there's all these other trade-offs and considerations and the truth of the matter is you can have very performant virtual doms as well you, you could argue it's unnecessary but you can have very performant versions i don't know if end user code benefits if, if you're going to have stuff like hook rules and that kind of confusion, but the raw rendering can be fast if you know exactly what you're doing. So um, it's a less, it's a more ambiguous message, um, which is why I, I never, I don't speak as much about absolutes, but yeah. Um, so we've, I, done, I we've, did, oh, we've talked a lot about performance as far as just like usage and, and kind of these two paradigms, if you will, do you feel, or do you, I mean, I know this is a very subjective question, but do you feel like SolidJS brings a better experience when developing apps? Do you, do you hear people saying, hey, I can develop faster or easier? Or is it still, you know, like ultimately all development sucks, right? Bugs always happen. Things just, nothing is easy, right? Nothing's get, ever going to be easy. There's no silver bullet to make things easy. But do you feel like Solid made a better jump or a different jump or a worse jump? Well, hey, I'm giving you all the options, okay? It'd be unfair of me only to be like, is it best or is it only great? Which one is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I think I think it does. I mean, that's what it started at for for me. I mean, there was the performance skepticism, but I just liked these granular, primitive patterns. This kind of run once mentality. We're not the only framework that has that, you know. Mm -hmm. View, felt have certain elements of it as well. It just became very obvious to people when you put it up against something like JSX. Um, Solid's render is actually more granular than those two. So there, it is actually still very different from Svelte and Vue. I feel like, I feel like it's, for React devs, it's the first time where they can see that benefit in a domain that they like. And it's not just because of syntax. It's, I think this is the thing, like Solid tries really hard to be not that magical. We do transform the JSX template, you know, so to speak. But we we do try for the most part to keep your code the way it, it was written yeah. and have those escape patches and not just, you know, like magic everything away. And I think that speaks to people where they go, okay, there is a way to do this and maybe doesn't feel like it's completely foreign. And I think it's great because yeah, suddenly there isn't dependency arrays. I mean, unless you want them, that we have an option where you can like 
purposely yeah. at dependency rates. And there isn't use callback. There isn't use ref for any, well, we actually don't have use ref. Yeah. Um, there isn't um, extra use memos. Sometimes you do want a, a cash and expensive thing, but you're not just using it for the sake of it. There, there's no, this is, this cause that thing on Twitter, you know, the big joke, there's no use event. Some, someone, the, the solid community was obviously having a little fun with that. Someone basically posted, I've in, I've implemented a uh, use event in solid and it was just an identity function. Um, nice. Like, okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. So like, basically like those kind of concepts aren't there. And I feel that does simplify things. They aren't there in view or svelte as well. So to be clear, it's just, there's other kind of trade-offs. I think, solid keeps the kind of philosophy of react in terms of being like we aren't trying to hide stuff from you like here are the base primitives these are composable you have full control you know the whole library versus framework thing i think we're actually very far on that side maybe even further than react on that side if that makes sense um which actually has us very different than view and svelte which are more on the other side of things philosophically and i i think it's, I think it's interesting because um, I do see it as a, a really nice improvement, but I mean, a lot of people also see Svelte and they go, for them, sometimes they, they go like, why didn't you just go all the way? Like, why didn't you just every let be a signal and then hide it from me? And then yeah. everything just automatically go and create this DSL. And I mean, parts of that are very tempting and I've considered bits of it. Um, I've always liked the explicitness. I've been that developer that kind of goes like, I want to be in complete control. I want to feel like I can do everything with this. And at any point I can just be like, I don't like to do, I'm going to do my own thing. Yep. And that's harder to do when you abstract it away. I mean, if you can come up with the perfect abstraction and maybe Svelte has, um, you know, then that that's fine. But like, I love these composition patterns. I love the way you can compose components, compose reactive primitives, compose JSX. It's, it's just, you could just build and build and layer and layer. And it, they're all independent pieces that can just be, you can just put them and arrange them how you want. And that's like really powerful for me and really what motivated um, me. And I think, I think when people get past the superficial syntax and they can actually feel what that's like, they're hooked. And that's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, people on the react community I, I had this guy, he, he was on a, he did made a Twitter video and he said something like solid feels like taking that bike you've been riding for a long time and turning the handlebars backwards. And now you're riding a bike and you know, it's a bike, but the, yeah, the, the you have nothing there. Yeah. And, and you're like this and you know, fair enough question. I asked him, I'm like, how do you know you weren't riding with the handlebars backwards this whole time? Yeah. It's a matter of perspective. It's always a matter of perspective. Uh, there's this question that I, I, I did want to get into, and this is like a perfect time to do it, which is uh, kind of speaking of this whole handlebars backwards and all that, you get this question all the time. Well, developer ergonomics, developer ergonomics, right? Oh, is this faster? Is it better? Is it easier to, you know, to dev with? And uh, for the last about six, seven months, I've been diving pretty hard into Rust, just kind of understanding it, really wanting to get it, because I do think Wasm is going to, have likely one of the largest futures in all of this. Uh, I just think that that extra bonus is going to eventually make it somewhere. Right now, I don't think it is just because, you know, same reason why in 2010, JavaScript wasn't fast. It just didn't have the investment until Chrome really came yeah. along and knocked it out of the park. So 
with that, are we all riding our handlebars backwards right now, right? Oh, Rust is too hard, or this language, whatever language it is, VLang, Zig, Golang, whatever you want to put in there. Oh, they're too hard. The development's too hard. But or is this like the 100 monkeys problem, right? We already have some monkeys that know JavaScript. Therefore, all the monkeys start knowing JavaScript you know, by just sheer association. And so now it's easier because this is the you know accepted language versus that one's harder because it's the non-accepted language. Wasm has a, a great future. Um, I, it's funny because people often see my skepticism there. I, I posted a, what it was six months or eight months. I highlighted all the Wasm frameworks in the JS framework benchmark. It's kind of like show the show the progress over a couple of years, and things have been shifting up. I think I think it's interesting. I mean, in my perspective, Wasm is still five six years out like yeah. realistically um i think we're going to go through like this next phase that we're getting into right now and then a phase after that and then wasm is like the one after that <laughs> like yeah. I, see, I see three cycles till we till we get there and when do you think that because that's like the de facto standard versus the more adopted what about uh in that phase cycle obviously right now we're in the you know just the hipster fedora it feels coffee drinking people are using uh, Wasm right now. At what point does it become you start seeing some more mainstream companies dabbling? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky. We need to unblock the performance issues um, for on the rendering side. It just, this is just not, it's good for certain things. It's not good at, for on the framework uh, JavaScript performance side. I mean, the, the right now, the fastest vanilla Rust thing I can do, you know, on these benchmarks will... I mean, I think it got in front of Solid recently, but for the historically speaking, Solid was at a high level declarative JavaScript yeah. library outperforming like the most hand optimized Rust possible at doing like DOM operations in these like JS benchmark type things. And then there's this like overhead between the framework and what vanilla is. And even that gap is pretty big. Part of it might be because of the data structures and all this back and forth over yeah. the, the bridge and all this stuff. But like one of the interesting things for me is that um, JavaScript, because of being forced and being that only language, has done so much work on optimizing in a path that I don't think other languages spend time doing. Like the, the, the level of optimization that went into the templating and stuff. Like it's insane on the JavaScript yep. side and like compilation and hydration. I think it's, I think there's a whole range of stuff that JavaScript frameworks and that whole thing take care of that aren't even like JavaScript. We're building our own DSLs like all the time. Like, I don't know how that well that lends into um, these other languages per se. So I think, I think there's some time for that. I, the, the, the actual really interesting thing for me is, as you mentioned, everyone knows JavaScript. Is, is there a future where something like TypeScript or AssemblyScript going to Wasm? Like, I don't know who gets there first, like yeah. Rust Wasm or TypeScript Wasm, because the, the JavaScript community is really excited about Wasm as well, because they see it as a way to get performance on the server. Go the other way, like get these runtimes on serverless functions on the server, and now I can write TypeScript and not pay the penalty of being a JavaScript runtime. So mm -hmm. I like... It is an interesting it's, it's interesting to see like these being developed on both sides. As I said, I don't every year, I mean, it might eventually be a turn of the tide, but every year that JavaScript continues to be this dominating force is just more more monkeys or whatever, so to speak. So I, I don't know if it, this the actual swap over, if things are actually better, 
might take even longer than what I'm talking about. When I was saying about that six years or whatever, five, six years, I, I'm, I'm talking about for like the actual, like this is feasible from an early adopter standpoint. I think the actual timeline is longer than that. Like, yeah. to, to be fair, um, I think that's when we start to see people like being hip on it. Um, uh, but I, I think, I think, I think there's still a, a ways to go. Um, I, I do see good work there. I, someone made a library called Sycamore in, in, in I've been wanting to try I, Sycamore. Sycamore was actually the, uh, next on my list. And Sycamore was inspired by solid and awesome. And, yeah. I, I think it's cool. They have like the fine grained signals and rust and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I think it's really interesting. I've, I've wanted to look into it and learn it potentially because the build tools, here's the thing. This is the, the, the gate in, uh, Rust is becoming de facto for all the build tools and stuff. And at a certain point, it feels like, like I write a compiler, it's in Babel because it's convenient for me. Am I gonna have to learn Rust to do SWC? Some some people wanted me to go to Vercel purely on that factor. Like then you can start making Solid's compiler in Rust and work with yep. the SWC. That would have been pretty sweet. Um, Jared, uh, or the bun, bun and zig yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 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 The bun zig guy. Last, last week he, uh, published a version of a basic version of solids compiler written in, in that. So I was pretty stoked on that. I mean, obviously there's lots of features and it's always changing, but he was able to compile solid templates in bun. So, you know, uh, there, there, there's some future potential there and I, I definitely want to look into it. I, this is just one of those areas right now where it's like, it's not even early adopters. I feel it's like people who are like, it's enthusiast time. Mad scientists. Yeah, 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 mad yeah. scientists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I am because uh, a lot of where this kind of comes from is that I also, I mean, anyone that's been in the stream long enough knows that I, uh, I didn't like Rust. I was just not a big fan of it. Uh, I mostly didn't like the community. I find them annoying. They always constantly tell me why every project should be rewritten in Rust. Um, it's just annoying most of the time. Right, uh, Go is a great language, very easy to get most of your performance in with almost no headache. But one thing that I noticed uh, when doing all of this over the last seven months is that as I do programming type things, I'll do these bets. Did I get it right first try? And for whatever reason, I know that I feel like a meme already. For whatever reason, when I write the thing in Rust, the percentage chance that I am correct is just astronomically higher than TypeScript. For whatever reason, I don't know why the languages are that much different. It's just that it's so much easier to be right, even if you're slower. So it's like, yeah, if you have to run a, if you have to run a track or a lap around a track in Rust, you run at 75% speed. But to get it right in TypeScript, you have to go around twice. You're much faster in Rust then, right? It's just like yeah. there is a real cost there that's hard to quantify. And I'm becoming more interested in the language in general just because of this different perception of how you even look at variables it's much much different than i've ever grown up with right i grew up on c plus plus uh java all those things right and so now i'm changing my life changed my perspective and i'm like huh maybe i'm missing that, out on things that's different. that might that might be a really good um point to be fair i it's funny you bring up typescript and i talked about typescript being the future and all this stuff and it kind of has been and stuff it's no secret to anyone here. I, I don't actually like TypeScript. Um, like I, I wrote solid in TypeScript. I used TypeScript, but I'm like that begrudging person. I, I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I like stole the, 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 Chris, the, the Batman begins like the, the thing we deserve, but not what we need. Or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, when I talk about TypeScript, because like, um, it, it, it's, I've used other type languages. I used C sharp. Uh, I used uh, like uh, C plus. I, 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 my background, I did .NET. I did, you know, like I've done type language. TypeScript was really hard for me. It was yeah. still very hard. And it's so funny because 
I had a bubble. I was like really into those type languages and doing, you know, full stack the old way. And then I went, that company that, that was doing all that knockout stuff that I worked for for eight years, we used CoffeeScript. And that, that, that is, I know from type, the, the, the opposite side, but it's like the hyper opposite side. And I got really good at CoffeeScript, like really good. Like to the point, because here's the thing. It's a different flow. Ooh. I know you. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just dying on the inside because I still remember when I opened up Adam. I tried out Adam. I was so excited. The first hackable editor. And then everything was in CoffeeScript. And I was just like, and the toilet. Like, I just never looked at the editor again because of that just single fact. Keep on, sorry, funny, keep on going on this CoffeeScript. It's script. definitely something that got locked in a, in a moment in time. But essentially, it felt really freeing for me because, like, when you write CoffeeScript, I mean, maybe it's a joke because it's like everything's pseudocode. Like, yeah. you know, like when you go whiteboard something and you're like, yeah, I got this and I need this. And you, you don't declare variables or anything. You're just like kind of like thinking out loud, writing CoffeeScript like that. So I, I'd be like working at a startup and then like we'd essentially just like be like, okay, well, how should this logic work? And just like sitting there and just be like, like almost like whiteboard pseudocoding it and then be like, okay, let's run it. And then Usually you'd get like an error, like something undefined and you're like, oh crap. And you change it and then it'd be working. Like I got to a point where it felt like I was just one-shotting with CoffeeScript. And I mean, that's hard because there's no type safety and all that yeah, like, yeah, stuff. Yeah. In the, in the compiler. But I got so used to that, that it just felt, it was terse. Like 30 lines of CoffeeScript felt like 70 lines of JavaScript felt like 210 lines of TypeScript. Like it just, like you could see all your code on the page. And I, I just, I felt like I was incredibly fast. Uh, building greenfield stuff. I'm not talking about refactoring and stuff, although I felt fast on that too because I just throw everything out away and just re-render, yeah. um, rewrite it. I told you about my boss. Best kind of out. refactoring ever. Rewrite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told you about my boss burning out is because he, he was the one who tipped me on that. He'd like go home for the weekend, come back, and he's like, yeah, so I, I rewrote everything. Um. <laughs> I've worked with people that have done, you know what? Was he also a coffee script guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. The only other person that I've met that does this exact same thing comes back after a weekend, totally just like disheveled looking, was another person that loved CoffeeScript. I am convinced people that use CoffeeScript just throw away and rewrite everything. So, yeah, I mean, it, the funny thing is because sometimes you just leave us for bugs for days. And that was like the whole joke. Like, that's what a 10x developer looks like. <laughs> but but <laughs> like, what, 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 I just want to show this case because this is like the opposite end of the spe spectrum. I, I think um it, it was just very interesting experience for me to kind of go through that because the iterations are very short mm -hmm. you would like you weren't waiting for the compiler that much i mean there was a compiler there like if you made a real error the compiler would shout at you in CoffeeScript. but generally speaking you felt like you were really rapid because you just like put an idea out there adjust it and you'd be done instead of like with typescript sometimes i'm like sitting there going okay what's the type for this what's the type for this what's the type for this mm -hmm. and 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 I think there's a lot of complexity in the rules of TypeScript that make it challenging that even more traditional uh, type languages just don't have because it, like you, TypeScript finds itself in a very difficult place because it's trying to let you do everything you can do in JavaScript and other languages yeah. are just like, this is not even a thing. Like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Yeah. And I think, I think that's the the thing here. Also, it's using CoffeeScript as an extreme, but in a sense, CoffeeScript is just JavaScript and JavaScript is that crazy language and TypeScript is trying to do maybe the impossible so yeah i i get that i i i came from a java world so i had to do c and java java for the front end c for the back end and like that's just what i did for years and i remember the first time doing javascript being like who would ever want to not have types this is crazy and then like six months into it i'm just like 
what's a type i don't even i don't even know what that is anymore i don't even believe they exist right like i just loved it and then now i've obviously come full circle at this point and so i mean i get the arguments kind of like this it's always comes down to the same thing which i i truly just believe it's familiarity so i've been timing myself where i used to just either reach for awk if i'm just doing some log processing yeah, or said whatever, you know, kind of just do a couple things or go to JavaScript if I need to convert some numbers, you know, do some more complicated things. I've been timing myself how fast I do it in JavaScript and then doing it in Rust. And so before when I started, something that would take me about five minutes in JavaScript would take me an hour in Rust. I was like, dude, this is just terrible. This is probably not going to be good. And yes, I was doing it for my job. Maybe probably not the best plan, but I'd do it anyways. But now it's like, yeah, this thing takes me five, 10 minutes in JavaScript. Yeah, it takes me like six, 12 minutes in Rust because now it's like I'm familiar with, you know, like, all those things you forget that just took time, like FS read file sync, right? I just know that off the top of my head. In Rust, I'm like, how do you open a file, right? Like I'm searching, I'm doing, now I'm right. familiar with it. Now it's like, oh, I'm just going back and forth doing things fast. Maybe um, I've been lying to myself this whole time. I've been waiting for that to happen with me in TypeScript, but um, <laughs> that, that I feel that level of speed, but maybe, maybe, maybe one day. Um, but I, I do think there's an interesting point about language and the familiarity and timing and stuff, because one thing that, I have been feeling this effect a bit on the solid side. I'm, I'm wrapping around because we're getting close to the end of our time here. But mm -hmm. it was that that like because of just these this slightly simpler model, you know, you you people like a lot of times all the good examples that I have in when I do talks or whatever end up being like here's a React example that you thought would work, and then this is what it actually looks like in React, and then here's the solid example, and it looks like the original code that you wrote in re in your React example. Yeah, I, I think I think that's one of the really powerful things. Where yeah, maybe it's worth spinning the handlebars around or whatever. If if you can get to a place where that what your starting point is actually like where you end up, because um, you know, I mean, not every example is a set interval. I don't know if you saw any of those conversations a little further back, because the, the whole joke is like you know, in, in, in React is actually kind of difficult to make a set interval. You have to happen in the fact and then the stale closure and then the whole fun thing. And it's all oh, I know. Just go like set interval, you know, and, and move on with your day. Um, the, the, another example of that actually is the recent uh, uh, React compiler thing where they're like, they were showing how they had this example of the to-do to list and passing all this data through. And they were like, you can solve it by putting memo, use memo all over the place and do all this stuff. Or you know, we can use a compiler and do this automatically for you. And then, of course, the 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 catch or the, the whole thing is if you take solid, the original code that you started before you tried to add all the reactisms before you add the compiler actually just works and it's perfectly performant. So like the, that, I think I haven't had the testimonials that much. I mean, I've had some obviously people, but I'm always a little bit skeptical. It's hard. You write something, you're like, I hope people like it, but um, I, I, my feel, at least personally, is that is a big part of what gets people excited about um, about it. Like the, this kind of maybe returns uh, a mindset where your starting point of thinking is actually where you mostly end up. Um, yeah, I do like that. There is some there is some benefit to having less abstraction in a sense. Like I like the syntax extra uh, extraction. Like you don't need to say document dot create node all the time, right? I think div makes it's a much clearer kind of abstraction but it'd be uh it, i like i because you know everyone knows debugging in react sucks your stacks are blown way out of you know portion same thing with you know rxjs you you start looking at your transforms and you're like holy cow i'm in this function 
I like how do where do I go next? I don't even know where I go next. Now I got to play the game of where am I putting my console logs, right? It's 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 that which is hard. Debugging is hard in general, and I think reactive systems just have this difficulty. Mm-hmm. And I think there's actually a real reason for this. I think imperative code. So and maybe this is more to React's favor if you can ignore the complexities around hooks. Imperative code is easier to reason about because we as humans live in an imperative world. There's this and this and this and this and this. Yep. And we can step through the steps and it makes a lot of sense. Declarative programming is about things just existing and, and, yeah. and the details are abstracted. So uh, reactivity is a declarative programming model. Um, and so is our JSX. And with everything declarative, you know, in this kind of sense, it is actually a little bit challenging because even if I can find those snippets of imperative code and jump into them, like, I guess, put this another way, pretend you needed to debug HTML, like something in HTML wasn't working. How would you possibly do that? Like there's yeah. no step. It's just, this is what you're looking at. And um, reactivity um, is like that. So I have to admit, um, on the, at least on the debug side, um, we aren't I'm putting out there any easier or better. I think it's a place that we need to improve on because people innately want declarative models. They want the ability to um, to be able to like, it simplifies our thinking when we can just go, this is the rule and be able to step back from it. Like you can just trust that the system will keep things synchronized. You've, you've described what you want it to do. Now just let it do it. So um, yeah, this is a whole realm of research yeah. and stuff. I, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I mean, if someone can solve that for us, I think that may, like, maybe that's like that's more important than any of the stuff that I've been doing in performance and even ergonomics is if you can actually make it easy to reason about uh, how our front-end apps work because uh, whether you're React or Solid or Svelte or whoever, like I, we like to think that we're simpler in that we don't transform most of your code and it is just using these primitives. So like yeah. when you see a primitive, think of it like a promise. You just know how it behaves. Um, but I mean, let's face it at any given point when changes come in, those changes can apply in multiple places. It's not just like running top down and that's the nature of declarativeness and we want it. Um, and we pay the price. Yeah. Well, Ryan, this has been awesome. I'm happy to have you on dev hour number three. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate that. So now obviously you have quite a few little social outlets here. You have Twitter can, uh, let's see, let me, let me get your Twitter pulled up really quickly. I'll throw it in. Uh, the chat but you're also you also stream you're also a yeah. streamer i believe is what they say uh you stream on youtube though correct yeah. yes i've been streaming on youtube i i'm i'm, I'm oh. not experiencing this at all i just wanted to start talking about the concepts around framework design and stuff and uh, performance and just put it out there all right well there you go first off we spammed your you can see it right here if you're on the stream we spammed your uh twitter link now let's get your, your youtube link is it, is it the same as your twitter handle uh it's not quite uh i think i had to put a nine behind my name or something give me a second let me see if I okay. pull that up uh yeah why is everything obscured i went to my channel on youtube and it actually it actually like these are things i should know right like because i'm i'm a, i should be be able to advertise myself i'm like the worst yeah uh, there you go i found it it's ryan uh Haniato, uh number nine <laughs> Which sounds yeah. like Aviato, which I mean, already, I'm a big fan at that point. You know it. Yeah, so. I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the Italian thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you get the Aviato. 
Yeah, yeah, though. Uh, response that is uh, Silicon Valley, Ehrlich Bachman startup. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I love that. It's a good show. But thank you so much for being on. Uh, wonderful guest. Uh, I'm I'm very excited about about Solid. I'm very excited about uh, that kind of future. I that's why I felt was uh, really kind of interesting to me is that it did take this approach where it's like let's quit making so much abstraction and let's start bringing it back in. Uh, there's one point I found a bug in the Svelte framework without actually ever writing a line of code for Svelte. I was just like, oh, look, here, I'll fix something for you. Because it's just like, it's so much easier to understand these types of uh, pieces of code than it is to understand something like React, right? Like, I just feel lost when I get in there. So I think it's, it's quite amazing having these drive towards simplicity, drive towards less abstraction. I'm always a huge fan of. So thank you for all the, doing the Lord's work out there. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate it. so everyone hey ryan's gonna be you're what are you gonna cover today on youtube uh yeah so i have a stream starting about 12 minutes and i'm gonna be covering actually react of all things uh react server components and i got uh brett from hydrogen uh or shopify talking about hydrogen um essentially i think there's been a lot of discussion about this the future of react and i want to kind of dig right into it and uh see what's going on with these Awesome. Awesome. Um, so everybody, here we go. We'll link it one more time. And if you're watching on YouTube, I will have the GitHub or I'll have his link both to his Twitter and his YouTube channel down below in the comments. So thank you uh, for being here. And hey, maybe we'll have you on again sometime in the future when you get some new stuff. Yeah, uh, I'll get a better streaming setup too. I can I can be all yeah. pro like you. So if you get a green screen, we can we could we could be in the bathroom together right now having a one on one. Now we can't do that. Now it's impossible. No bathroom ramen for anybody. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> all right, <stuff. laughs> take care, bud.